a long time ago in a Screen Pass podcast far, far away. Screencast, the show about American football in pop culture. I'm Sheehan, and with me, as always, is the man I don't like because he's coarse and rough and irritating. He gets everywhere. Justin Barber. Do you have a bad feeling about this? Oh, I got a bad feeling about this one. (laughs) I'm, I'm excited to dive into it, man. I'm excited today. How are you today? It's been a chaotic week or so in my life. I got a haircut basically for the first time in three years. And said to the guy, I gave him some pretty clear instructions. And midway through, I said, like, anything's fine, so lot is not a mullet. And I walked out of there with a filthy mullet. You can see this. The camera's gone. This is, this is shaved on the sides here. And, like, that part of the head, like, you can't see the back. It's, it's an okay haircut. You turn around, you've got the post credit scene out the back here. And it is a filthy, rude mullet. So... I've shaved for the listeners into a a moustache with a mullet combination. It's very Keith Hernandez. Mm, Yes. From the, uh, my recollection, from the two episodes (laughs) of Seinfeld that he's in. See, I can't always tell because sometimes you just have your hair pulled back. Um, So I thought it was just kind of pulled back and maybe Mm. a little disheveled pulled back because it's coming forward more than it normally does. But look at you. You are just... uh, White trash balling yeah. right now. Good on you. <laughs> I feel very Australian, and after my um, outspoken opinions <laughs> about Kid Rock, I think maybe this is Destiny. who I was always supposed to be. You are the chosen one. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> well, speaking of things that are Australian and terrible haircuts, we watched Attack of the Clones, something we both had to check before we started. We did. Uh, I was like, is that the one you watched? You're like, yes. It's like, I don't... I don't care. Let's do a podcast on any of them. <laughs> it's fine. This one I discovered, well, we'll get to why we're doing this one. And it's this is one of those cases where it's like, if you know, you know, and this might be as tenuous a link to anything that we ever do, but we're going to give it a go anyway. Hey, um, so what's your relationship with Star Wars? That's an interesting question. So my relationship with Star Wars is it pretty much goes back as long as I can remember. So the original Star Wars was what I would say is, you know, before my time, though now that I'm older, I'm like, "Eh, that really wasn't that long before my time. But you know what I mean? But as a kid growing up, when I was getting into teenagers, it was kind of like the older kids are the ones You know, I had a friend that was like out of high school when I was going into high school and he was a big Star Wars nut. But I ended up, especially when I was a teenager, really getting into the original trilogy. Like I really loved it. You know, I had it on tape. I watched them all. I referenced it. And even when I was younger, Star Wars was always a thing. So it really was always there. And I even remember when this second trilogy came out you know the ones that we're going to be discussing today the the attack of the clones is in i remember like cutting school to go see one stuff like that so i mean there's definitely memories throughout my whole life associated with star wars and i'm a big star wars fan but the interesting thing is i don't like most of the star wars stuff you know it really all comes from those originals (laughs) 
I think that's the prerequisite for being a Star Wars fan. They say no one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's true. It's kind of like they made nine movies and a bunch of series based off of it and a bunch of sub-movies, and I really like three movies out of it, so I don't know, man. It's a weird thing to be a fan of. How about you? What's your relationship with it? Essentially, for an average person, I'm a very big Star Wars fan. There is definitely levels above me. But, you know, it's we're a football podcast primarily. I feel like I'm the kid who goes to college on a football scholarship but doesn't make the NFL out of a small town. I'm the best football player to ever come out of that area, but I'm nowhere near the big leagues when it comes to this. I went and saw the 20-year anniversary release of A New Hope in the cinema with my auntie Bobby, and from, like, the first five minutes, I was blown away. like. It genuinely changed me as a person. And from that point, I was the kid who was, like, obsessed with it. You know, there's there's no coincidence that my Twitter handle is still she and Solo after all these years. And, and the 90s was a good time to be a Star Wars fan, really. You had all the expanded material out there. I wasn't really a big books guy, but, like, I read some of the, the more young adult novel books as opposed to, like, your Jedi Academy and stuff like that. You had Star Wars games come out, like Dark Forces and Jedi Knight, all of those fantastic games, varying standard. And then, of course, you had the prequel trilogy from 1999. You had The Phantom Menace come out. It's weird looking back, because I remember thinking as a kid, there's not been Star Wars in forever. There was 16 years between Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace coming out. That's not really that long. It was about 10 years between Revenge of the Sith and The Force Awakens. And obviously you had the Clone Wars media in there as well and a few more games. And when you get a little bit older, you're a bit more aware of it. But through today's lens, 16 years doesn't really feel like that long of a time. I mean, 16 years ago, thereabouts, the first Iron Man movie came. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier. It's like, when I was young, I felt like, wow, this is really before my time. You know, because it had already been made. And I was associating with older kids who liked it mm. or older people who liked it. But I'm the same as you. Like, I think that that gap before they came out with the prequels was a really pure time, too, because Star Wars was just its role, original three trilogy. Like you, I went and saw them in the theater when they launched them out. Loved it. I went to this really old theater in Baltimore. So it was really iconic. And I remember when they showed it on the screen, there was people outside in a line waiting to get in, and I had never seen anything like that. I was like, this is wild. People are waiting to see a movie that's already been released, that's already been out, and they're just waiting in line to see it on the big screen. And there was something, the story itself of Star Wars, it's just one of the best. I mean, the idea of the Force and the Rebels fighting back, it's it's just so cool. It's such a good fantasy story and it's formed a lot of my current projections and things like this type of stuff I read. I love sci-fi. I love like fantasy type stuff. And I think that that a lot is in part due to the Star Wars influence of when I was younger. I totally agree. I mean, we have a lot to thank George Lucas for and and probably a lot to go. Well, maybe (laughs) he didn't nail all of it, but the movies and the technology, we'll talk about that later, the things that he did that other people weren't doing. You really right. have to take your hat off to the guy. And then, of course, he just 
totally gave it up to raise his kids, which again, you've got to take your hat off to the guy there. So you mentioned going to see these in the cinema and those lines outside. I saw this one twice at the cinema over two sittings because the first time I went with my mum and my cousin, my cousin's daughter, my mum and my cousin, same age, and my cousin's daughter and I, roughly the same age. She's a year or two younger than me. Never really had a lot of time for her. And to be honest, I, I still really don't take or leave these people. We went to this event. It was like a footy club fundraiser or something like that, where it's you go along and the money raise goes to the club, whatever it was. And they all decided, and I think they're on the right side of history here. They were all so bored. They wanted to leave. And me, who was like waiting and waiting and waiting to see this and it turned down, going to see it with my mates because I was told, no, we're going on this date, like whatever. You don't go and see a movie twice in the cinema, blah, blah, blah. I had to leave before the end of this movie. Oh, <laughs> and so I get to school. I think it came. It might have come out during the school holidays in Australia. Get to school, and everyone's talking about. Oh my god, did you see Yoda flipping around and all this shit? I hadn't seen that element of it, and that's not dissimilar to my experience watching it for this because I basically tapped out when they got to Geonosis. Yeah, I mean, the best part of this movie is obviously at the end. It's kind of got a slow build throughout. And then at the end, they're like, bam, here's all the good stuff. And I think that they were trying to correlate a lot of that to the Empire Strikes Back, you know, a.k.a. Empire. And what's your favorite Star Wars movie, by the way? I was about to ask you the same question. So in the Skywalker saga, as it's called, my favorite has always been Return of the Jedi. That's the one I've seen more than any of them. I know it's the weakest of those original trilogy. That's always been my favorite. Oh, I think my part of it is because I had the Luke Skywalker green lightsaber and the action figure of Han Solo on Endor. Nice. And so, like, they were the ones that I played with. I love, in retrospect, and the more I watch it and think about it, it really is the perfect movie, and that is Star Wars, A New Hope. Yep. Everything about it. Like, yes, there are some issues or whatever, or but it is a seminal movie. It is well-paced. There is a lot going on. I love that you are dropped into the story. And there is enough backstory to keep you interested, but not so much that you have to dwell on it. And I think that's the issue with a lot of fandom now, and Star Wars is exactly the same. People are so interested in the lore of it and understanding every single element. There is something beautiful about being dropped into it, and you work it out as you go. I think Mad Max Fury Road did that very well. I think that first Star Wars did as well. I agree. I agree. I think just to follow up on the last thing you said, I think that that's the issue with the prequels is it was a prequel It to in essence, it was almost like the origin story of Star Wars in a lot of ways. But I think they got too much detail. They ruined for me some of the magic of Star Wars. Like they started to explain the force like it's metachlorians and it's this and it's mm-hmm. that and it's It's like, no, the force is the force. Like, the thing that makes it so cool is it's this unexplainable thing that certain people have, certain people can use it, and the mystery behind that is part of the intrigue. That was the beauty. Like you say, you could imagine that it exists, and if you worked hard enough or trained in the right way, that you would be able to tap into whatever it was. Like, every single person our age has tried to move something with the force. Yep, agreed. Like, just to see if you can. And I'm going to be honest, when I still go to the grocery store and those automatic doors open, 
I still pretend I do it with my mind. I did it when I was like six and I'm doing it now as a grown man. I'm like, just like a little, <laughs> sometimes I do like a little hand motion. Like I open that with the force. <laughs> the Return of the Jedi, you know, was good. A New Hope, I like a lot. My movie's always been Empire. Like I love Empire. I think the really cool thing about Empire is number one, it has one of the biggest reveals of all time. And that's, Luke, I am your father. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough! He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. That's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. Crushed cinema, like it blew everything out of the water. That was completely crazy. And the movie ends on a cliffhanger. It ends in like a bad what is happening kind of spot. You know, Luke's falling out of the thing. They're rescuing him. Mm. He gets his arm cut off. To watch that movie for the first time, it's like what is happening? And then movie ends. And there was something so shaking about that that I just thought, as far as cinema goes, that was unbelievable. And a lot of quotes from that, mm. you know? Even still, I'll quote the, no, that's not possible. <laughs> you know? <There's> so many... <laughs> right. Scruffy looking nerf herder. But again, with our age, a lot of people around us had problems with Return of the Jedi, but I was young. I like the Ewoks. I thought they were cute. I was a young kid. I thought it was great. You know what I mean? First time I saw it. So People take him so seriously. God, Star Wars is going to be serious. We've got to take it seriously. And it's great that you have the full gamut of Star Wars. You have the movies, which are kind of for everyone. My favorite movie, and to talk about, the one I probably like the most is Rogue One. Like I know that's not in ad, but I loved Solo as well. Yeah, I did too. Uh, Rogue One, I would say, is my favorite movie outside of the original three. Solo, I thought, was fun. Mm. Like, I enjoyed it when I saw it. I think it was a little bit of a nothing plot. You know, it was like they had this MacGuffin situation. Like, I don't even know what they were going after or why. But it was a fun movie. Yeah. And it was great to see Donald Glover as Lando. That was a lot of fun. He was awesome. Uh, but it was a fun movie. I enjoyed both of those. But Rogue One was a good movie. Yeah, it was. I was so surprised. We, I went and saw that opening day. The people in the cinema, the reactions that were going on were just incredible. Solo kind of suffered from that prequelitis where you were explaining every single thing yeah. about the guy. And I think maybe they missed the point of the character a little bit. I think if you start to explain mysterious characters or start to show personal growth within yeah. that, then you sort of run into a bit of trouble. I, we talked about this recently with some oh with with regard to harry potter 
the the Hogwarts Legacy game that suffers from the same issues that a lot of prequels do, where it's you need a story and you need you know in Han Solo's case he learns lessons that he essentially right. forgets before the prequel or the actual trilogy the original trilogy OT whereas in Hogwarts Legacy you go from this world where there's a lot of diversity to a bunch of old English people and you wonder what happened at some point exactly yeah I completely agree I mean that's the issue with all prequels really some of you don't need to explain how people got certain things 100% and the movie that we're going to dive in more detail this one here the Attack of the Clones there's a big issue with that in this that I found and I'll bring it up throughout but I think it's one of my biggest problems through all the the three prequels is in this movie and it has to do with that explaining besides the explaining of the force I absolutely hated that I thought that was so dumb George Lucas is a guy that needs to get reined in like good ideas but with his execution someone needs to rein him in and as time went on they just let him go more and more crazy that's exactly it and again we'll we'll get into this because i think there is a scene here that shows all of the issues with this film very very well but you need the ideas people because you need that blue sky thinking but you need that grounding around to make it happen yep you give the creative types too much power things don't get done 100 percent. and that is coming from two people who are ostensibly creative Yep, absolutely. Yep. So we watched Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, released in 2002, directed by George Lucas. It stars Hayden Christensen. I thought his name was Christensen until today, but no, it's Hayden Christensen. Mm. Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Temuera Morrison, Anthony Daniels, Penny Baker, Ian McDermott, and Frank Oz as Yoda. It has a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, and the plot synopsis says, Ten years after initially meeting, Anakin Skywalker shares a forbidden romance with Padme Amidala, while Obi-Wan Kenobi discovers a secret clone army crafted for the Jedi. Ooh. What what a cast. You know, just to jump in there for a second on that, that's a lot of big names here in this movie, you know? I left a few out as well, because Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith were both filmed in Australia. And these are jam-packed with Australian TV actors. Yeah. And some of them Australian film actors. So Rose Byrne's in this. Mm. Joel Edgerton's in this when he was just a no-name actor. Jay LaGaia was on a kid's show called Play School over here when he was cast in this. Oh, wow. Jocasta Nu, played by a classic Australian actress. Altea McGrath, the guy who plays Dexter Jetster, and a classic Australian actor. And, of course, <laughs> as... Oh, you have... Cast in this, Claudia Carvin, who was the hottest of hot to be Padme's sister, who never got on screen. Graham Blundell, who was famous for playing a sex pest called Alvin Purple (laughs) in a raunchy 70s and 80s comedy. And Jack Thompson, who is one of the doyens of Australian screen uh, and was the first ever nude male centerfold in a women's magazine. Oh, a little fun fact. So you're watching this. Jimmy Smits isn't Australian. Jimmy Smits is not Australian. I think he's like Puerto Rican or something, isn't he? I think so, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if you mentioned his name and I just wanted to put his name in there. I like Jimmy Smith. I don't have any Jimmy Smith's notes. He does. He has a bit more to do in some of the later material. Yeah, he was a much heavier cast in Obi-Wan, the series, which I very much enjoyed. I, I do like yeah. the Obi-Wan miniseries. That was, that was excellent. But again... 
suffers from the issues of you have people here, you have people here, and they have to get from there to there with a story that really goes nowhere yeah. and doesn't impact the existing continuity. And I, as fun as it was to be back with Ewan McGregor. And I think there's an argument for how much can people do now in the Star Wars space? Because with an argument now, we have a beginning, we have a middle, and an end. So really, you have to either find a middle ground between one of the trilogies or throw it at the very end, which no one's done yet. There's also an argument of how much can you do in that space? Because, I mean, a little spoiler alert, I do not care for the last three movies at all. I, I did not like them. I think, it was, I think it was lazy writing. I think it was a lazy approach. I've seen every Star Wars movie in theater. I mean, the original three, I didn't see them at launch, obviously, but I've seen them all in theater. I don't regret seeing them, but the last three really had a lazy writing of, okay, we get through Return of the Jedi. They beat the Empire. We have this long pause, and then you start the movie up where the Empire's an issue again, and then you go mm. through the same process of trying to stop the Empire again. I, just, I found it weak. I found it lazy, but it does hold people, I think, like John Favreau, into a little bit of a box. But anyway, that's maybe neither here nor there. I quite liked The Last Jedi. I thought um, The Force Awakens was fine, but I agree. There is a lot of issues in hand-waving, and I think when you have a... I hate describing stuff as this, but a prestige property, you need someone to come in and map out the story because yeah. it feels disjointed, and that's exactly what it was. You had three disjointed movies, and the fact you have somehow Palpatine returned as a key point in the last one just doesn't add up because you're setting up all these other things throughout yeah. it like it did really annoy me and i i'm not going to be one of these people who's like ray shouldn't be good at the force and there should be women and kathleen kennedy's the worst because that's not how i feel about it but i think it's unfair to then rely on shows like the mandalorian or Andor or obi-wan or whatever it is the bad batch to explain the issues created by the trilogy that's not why the media right. should exist yeah, these series are becoming patches so that we can get good Star Wars content. Yeah. In my mind, these are band-aids for like, okay, I have to deal with something that was, in my opinion, subpar, and we're trying to patch it so that I can have a good storyline now. And mm. kudos to those people making it. Like, personally, I find Andor boring. I didn't, I, that really wasn't my scene, but I loved Obi-Wan. I loved Boba. I love Mandalorian. I think what John Favreau is doing with them is great, but it is a patch for that stuff. And there's a patch from this movie that we'll talk about as well. So carry on. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a, a lot of issues. Well, the, the carry on, we can basically take this any direction because I have notes, but I think it's fair to jump around. So let's start with what I think is the most glaring issue with this film. There's a lot, but visually, the amount of CGI within right. this. And I think part of it, because we see stuff now that is still poxy CGI, George Lucas has always been at the cutting edge of technology. He's happy to take risks, take chances on things where maybe other directors wouldn't. Um, I encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to go and watch the Industrial Light Magic documentary series on Disney+. Plus. Fascinating. 
but this was one of the first films shot on digital, so they were off able to watch it every day. George Lucas didn't hand in the script until three days before shooting started, so you had these people who were trying to pull stuff together, not knowing what it was going to look like, actors acting against nothing, and I think it really shows that this yeah. was the early days of this, because you have, like in the Jedi Temple, impossibly long hallways, empty spaces behind people. Some stuff on Kamino looks really, really poxy. And I think you see that with sometimes with the volume now with The Mandalorian, where you're like, this looks like you're in a really enclosed space. And it shows, it shows that you can't do more with this. But it also shows where they have used model work, like in Rogue One and Andor, that stuff does look better when you can do it for real. I agree. Yeah, because the issue that we have with computers is that it's always advancing. So if we jump back to our last podcast of video games, I mean, when PlayStation came out, it was amazing. You know, and then as they advanced, you're like, wow, PlayStation 4 is the best it's going to get. And then they make PlayStation 5 and it's better. So the visuals do advance. And as they advance, we as the viewer put our standards on whatever's modern. So yep. I can go back and watch the original three and those models like, yes, you can see where there's puppets or, you know, where you can see where there's like, like, and they don't look as dated though. Correct. Because it's actually a tangible item. You can just, you just have to assume that that's a weird looking creature. Whereas the CGI, you can see all the glitches in it. You can see where it's just too shiny or the lighting isn't exactly right, or the texture isn't exactly there. It's too smooth. So yeah, I agree with you. There, there's something to be said for that old model work. Say what you like about the sequel trilogy. They look very good. Yeah. It looks like they're in spaces. They use puppets, that sort of stuff. And I don't want to say all the CGI work in this is bad, because it's a little bit poxy, but I don't mind CGI Yoda. No, I don't like, I think either. it's better in this one than the last one. Like, Yep. There is some CGI stuff in this that is solid, but there's also a lot that is not. Particularly when we get to the fight scenes, because that was, we already mentioned it, that was a big part of this, is when you see Yoda fighting. And it's like, before that, I could never really imagine him fighting. And if you're using a puppet or something like that, there's no way that it would have looked as good as the computer. They have him spinning around like a little little ball of fire just bouncing off stuff and it looked great and then to jump ahead when we get to revenge of the sith uh, you see palpatine fighting and that was another thing Mm. it's like well how is this old looking almost decrepit sith lord even a threat and they showed it in that they sped this character up so he was so fast and you're like okay i can buy i can buy that now i'm on board for that i don't like those elements of it and i think This is sort of almost a narrative issue as much as an execution. The fight with Yoda and Dooku is fun. Like, it's fun to see Yoda fight. It is fun to see Palpatine fight. I think they should both be so masterful in their use of the Force that they don't have to. That's a good point. Like, I would love to see, and you see this a little bit in Obi-Wan, where Darth Vader blocks the lightsaber with his hand. Yes. And that could be a function of not having a real hand, and if you don't have a real hand, you don't treat your hands with respect. However, how much better would it be to have Yoda, you could even, you could still have the same, you know, he has to stop the fight because he needs to use the force to save Obi-Wan and Anakin. 
but Dooku is trying his utmost and Yoda is standing there either lightsaber in hand, just blocking, 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 or lightsaber manipulated by the force, blocking, blocking, blocking. Right. And it's probably, it's less visually interesting. It's a bit like Professor X just doing that to, right. to use his powers, but they should both be so powerful. Basically. Yeah. And that, yeah. you know, the same for Palpatine. Maybe he just, flips his lightsaber out from the wall and cuts the three Jedi down. And then Mace Windu has to battle him. And maybe at some point he has to take his lightsaber to properly fight him. Yeah. But there is something to be said, I think, for being so masterful that you don't even need it. In later interpretations of Darth Vader, when we get to Obi-Wan, when we get to the video games, like there's that one scene in the video game where Darth Vader is basically like ripping the walls and crushing the enclosed space in on itself. And it's just this impressive amount of power. It's like he is so powerful with the force, with the dark side that he can just he's not even going to fight you. He's just going to collapse the room on you. Or when yeah. I believe it's Obi-Wan where someone's trying to fly away and they stop the spaceship from even moving. Those kind yeah. of things they didn't do in this prequel series, which I think that's kind of where you're at with these guys fighting. Like we, we should leave the mystery to how powerful they are. If they do show it, like really make them show it. Yeah. And that's, you know, as it, it is a lot of fun and, you know, I think Christopher Lee has been in more, duels on screen than anyone else in history so for him i think i don't think he did most of the actual work within that because there are a lot of scenes where it's his head comped onto someone else yeah but you know this is a an actor of the golden age of acting a real a real life war hero christopher lee acting to nothing with a tennis ball bouncing yep up. <laughs> yep so speaking of christopher lee the stupidly named count dooku <laughs> is the villain in this one the main villain in this one if you've not heard the the story before or the the theory before i might even be confirmed by a dave filoni or someone like that the three villains in the prequel trilogy represent different elements of darth vader them being the anger of darth maul the fallen jedi of count dooku and the robot man of general grievous and and here we have the the fallen jedi originally it was supposed to be a woman uh, and that yep. character ended up being Asajj Ventress, if you've seen any of the Clone Wars, a fantastic character uh, who I would like to see in live action. And then funnily enough, Christopher Lee turned down the role of Tarkin in A New Hope hmm. and said he regretted it. So, you know, it's it's cool. It only took him 25 years to get to uh, <laughs> to finally be in Star Wars. <laughs> right, right. What do you think of him as a as a villain or as a figure within this movie? So when I think of him... Kind of the issue for me is villains after Darth Vader get a little spotty through the Star Wars. It's like Darth Vader is such the perfect villain. He's dark and mysterious and super powerful. He's an on-screen threat. Darth Maul, actually, I think is super cool. I think he was the best part of Phantom Menace. And I almost yeah. would kind of like it if he was somehow in two of them. Real- I- Honestly, I think they should have just got rid of Phantom Metis. Took like maybe a half hour to do the discovery of Anakin Skywalker and then jump <laughs> into Clone Wars. But I think it would have made for a much better series because a lot of it feels rushed to me. And yeah. I think Doku is just not... 
I don't really sense the fear from him. I don't really sense that darkness or that powerfulness from him. But they keep telling you. It's like, he's super powerful. He's super powerful. And Obi-Wan's like, I need you, Anakin, to fight him. I can't fight him on my own. But I just didn't kind of get that vibe from him. I feel like he just popped up in this movie. And he's like, I'm, you know, I'm the Sith. I'm the fallen Jedi. But it just kind of felt so rushed or brushed under the rug that I didn't really connect with him. How about you? How did you feel about him? He'd be more interesting if he was set up in the previous. And that's because you could see him, live with him as a character, and then you see him turn to the dark side. And that's the thing is, this mysterious Count Dooku. And there is no way he's not the villain throughout it. He's never presented as anything but the villain, even though we don't see him for a very long time. And if instead, let's say it's Mace Windu, who is the villain in this one, and we see him in the first one, we get to know him in the first one, we find out he has issues with the start and, you know, Master Windu's left the order. And then when he shows up at the end, you could be like, oh, wow, Mace Windu's here. He's going to save the day. Oh, wait, he's a villain. I and then there is that element of the reveal. Because as George Lucas has been quoted endlessly, it's like poetry, it rhymes. That's supposed to be the reveal akin to, no, I'm your father. What if I told you that the Republic was now under the control of the Dark Lord of the Sith? No, that's not possible. The Jedi would be aware of it. The dark side of the Force has clouded their vision, my friend. Hundreds of Senators are now under the influence of a Sith Lord called Darth Sidious. I don't believe you. The Viceroy of the Trade Federation was once in league with this Darth Sidious. But he was betrayed ten years ago by the Dark Lord. He came to me for help. He told me everything. You must join me, Obi-Wan. And together, we will destroy the Sith. I will never join you, Dooku. to secure release. And I think there is an element that Obi-Wan is genuinely thinking about this guy's offer. We've seen in the Tales of the Jedi or whatever it is now on Disney+, Plus, filling in that backstory of a man who's disgruntled with the Jedi and why, and it sort of legitimizes his turn to the dark side and also his idea that he's kind of just in it to bring down the, the Sith. Like, he's not really a true believer in so as much as some of the others. Yeah. And just wanted that that power of using that power of the dark side almost against them. And it, that would make sense. I think that that would be perfect. You mentioned Mace Windu, and I actually think that that would have been a much better character, too. It's funny because Samuel L. Jackson told George Lucas that he wanted a purple lightsaber. And mm. George Lucas told him, no, like, they're... They're blue or green. Jedi have blue or green lightsabers. And Samuel L. Jackson was just like, yeah, but I want a purple one. So they ended up giving him a purple one. Now, the way that the community is, we mentioned the tier we are, which is pretty, pretty big fans, but they're like super fans. They kind of backfilled that. So the green is supposed to be for the most powerful Jedi knights. 
and the blue is supposed to be the Jedi guardians, the one who protect the order. Red is Sith, obviously. Every Sith has a red one, and that's basically because the crystal they use, the, the kyber crystal, has to be, like, tortured with pain and hate, and it hurt, and it's, like, bleeding, essentially. So they went back and said that the purple one is kind of in between the light and dark, because mm. it's, like, blue and red. In story-wise, if they would have given him that role of Doku to change and we would have been like oh no he's the bad guy it would have made sense with the purple lightsaber his struggle with the dark side and the light side it just would have made a lot more sense instead they just kind of did random stuff and then culture tried to make it work star wars is really bad for tell don't show yep you know we get like you say we get told that dooku's incredibly powerful we don't see him do anything powerful until the very end we we're told mace windu is keeping the dark side at bay within his own mind and he's such a powerful Jedi that he's able to do that. But we don't see him struggle with that. Yes, we see him chop off Jango Fett's head with careless abandon, I would describe right. it, like a man opening a fly screen door. But <laughs> we've never seen any conflict within him. It's all told. It's all in expanded right. material. You have to read this to justify it. And yes, that gives you more of the world, but at a certain point you're like, why don't you just show some cool stuff? Yeah, exactly. Like, Jedi Power Battles on PS1, one of the <laughs> Star Wars games I own. Mace Windu, his special force power, he went into his mind and sent his lightsaber orbiting around him and just cut down everyone around him. Like, yeah. how fucking cool would that be to see? And you see that in the Clone Wars animated series. You see him doing really cool things. And yet, all he does in the prequel trilogy is basically so the prophecy says i don't believe young skywalker <laughs> right. this party's over may the force be with us all if you look back between even a new hope and empire look at the progression of luke between the hmm. uncle owen we need a new power converter and then when he shows up in his <laughs> black fully black uniform black hood and he's like just using the Jedi mind trick, like, boom, you know, you're going to do mm. as I say, you're going to do as I say. And you see that progression of growth and character building and power building. You just don't see it with Windu. You don't see it with Doku. Well, <laughs> again, this is one of the great things is you can make logical leaps. Mm -hmm. You see, the last time we saw Luke Skywalker, he just lost a hand and he doesn't know how to get his mate back. The next time you see him, He's, as you say, he's clearly trained. He's better at this. And you go, wow, this guy has spent years studying the blade. Yep. It's not like he showed up and it was like, wow, Luke's really cool now. Look at all, look at all this stuff now. And he's just like, hey, guys. <laughs> uh, and I think Star Wars is so bad for that. The prequels are so bad for that. There is so much fucking exposition and conversation within this. I saw something the other day on TikTok because I'm, I'm cool and hip. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and it was Matt Stone and Trey Parker teaching a class about storytelling. And they say that when you're writing out your story beats, you use but, because, therefore. Nothing should be and then. Everything has a reason. Everything reacts to something else. Very different writing a 22-minute show yep. each week and trying to do that in a week to writing epic space fantasy movies but it remains the same. There is so much and then, and then, and then, and then in these movies. 
and people having conversations about nothing. Show us the fucking shit. Yeah, it's different from writing a 20-minute episode, but also you don't have a week to write it. You've had 20 years. You've had 15 years. Like, lock it up. In fact, you have as long as you want to write it. Yeah, exactly. Like, legitimately. It's it really annoys me. You mentioned just before the issues with how you would have liked to see this story unfold. Sure. And uh, I was thinking about this in relation to this episode. And I think part of it stems back the Clone Wars themselves first mentioned very early in A New Hope. In Act One of A New Hope, we hear about the Clone Wars. Yep. Now, names of it aside, well, in fact, not names of it aside, no, you. There is no war named after the soldiers of the side that you are on. <laughs> right. You don't call the Vietnam War the American War. <laughs> right. Vietnam call it the War of Liberation or something like that. Yeah. But they don't call it the Viet Cong War. Right. Like, we have World War One, World War Two, the War with Germany, the Hundred Years' War, the Crimean War. At no point do you name it after the soldiers on your side. Also. It's one war. It could be got the clone battles. Or the drone wars. The droid wars, exactly. Or, more accurately, the droid war. The separatist war. Any of those things. Not the clone wars. I know the original idea from Lucas was to have everyone fighting clones of themselves. Makes sense. You are fighting clones. Yep. That's scarier. The clones aren't the good guys. And I, that's what I was kind of saying when I think when they started A Phantom Menace... Don't spend a lot of time on the kid, you know, cut it short and then have him as a teenager, a rambunctious teenager. And then he grows into like a man before he hits Darth Vader and start the clone wars then or the droid wars. Then <laughs> the yeah. new, it's now called the droid wars 20, 2002. But if you started that then and they were all over different planets, it's like, OK, these droids are attacking all these planets and it escalates to this final battle. That makes sense to me. Just having one battle is not a war. It absolutely is not. And I have this in my notes because I wanted to talk about it. The first movie and the third movie should be fighting clones or cloners or something. Don't spend time on the kid. And part of this, I think, is the law around the Jedi generally. A bunch of shutaway, child-snatching monks (laughs) don't work as Jedi Knights, as they are called from the very first movie. Well, to me, I've, I've written down, this is my idea that I spent five minutes on. Yep. And instead of the Jesus parallels, I think it should be a parallel maybe to like an Arthurian legend. Sure. And you can still have the chosen one within that. It can still be Anakin. For me, the first movie is mid-Clone War 1. Yep. And Anakin is just some guy who wants to be a Jedi. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like friend of the show, Alexandre Dumas, the Three Musketeers. D'Artagnan yep. wants to be a Musketeer. He sees them. And that's what he wants to do. That's who Anakin should be. A grown man who wants to be a soldier. Anakin critical to winning the war against the clones and becomes a Jedi. Accepted into the order at the end of the first movie. You still have the stupid celebration. Whatever else happens. But that is that first movie. The end of the first Clone War. The second movie. This movie. Maybe. Is a parallel. Maybe Anakin's the hero of the Republic. And he starts to see the Republic rotting from the inside and he starts to get disenfranchised and he's turned, you know, he starts thinking about the dark side or the Sith or whatever it is away from the Jedi or the Republic. Cause he sees that it's rotten. 
Like that's yep. the point of all of this is the Jedi are arrogant and they're out of practice and they're losing their connection to the force and they're so they've been drinking their own bathwater too long. And I think it should be a sort of a parallel to that idea of Lancelot in the Arthurian legend. Mm. Maybe that's who he is. He's the best of the knights. He falls. Maybe he falls in love with a woman he shouldn't fall in love with. And then in that third one, he becomes Darth Vader. Right. Maybe that's the, the start of it is the return of the Clone Wars or whatever it is. He has his fight with Obi-Wan. He becomes Darth Vader and we see him as Darth Vader at the end of the film. Right. To me, that's more interesting. That is at least two wars with clones. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've brought up in our literary podcast where we did the football team literary characters, Dune, and how this has so many parallels to Dune, how George Lucas actually took a lot of concepts from Dune. And Dune does it really well where it's it's a young man, he's separated from what's going on, and he kind of gets thrust into it, and then the legend is put upon him. It's not like they were searching for this kid. This kid kind of falls into this legend reluctantly. And if they wanted to do something with the balance of the force, I get that. But yeah, you're right. Have him be young. He can even be a young man. And maybe he falls into this clone war, does something, gains credit, and then they pull him into the Jedi Knight. Oh, I always wanted to be a Jedi Knight. That's awesome. Something like that would have made a little more sense than Obi-Wan just knowing he's the one. Oh, I've been searching for the one. And it's it's mm. it's done cheap. It's done quick. It, it doesn't have much weight to it. The problem that I have with this story is I do think at a high level it's good. The way they set up Anakin, he's a young Padawan. He's reckless. He feeds into his emotion over logic. He has no restraint. I like the ideas of that, like him losing his mother that happens in this film. So there's a portion about halfway through this where he's having these nightmares about his mother. It's all consuming. And he goes back and he finds out that his mother's been taken. He's been taken. Exactly. Anakin. He goes and you meet, you meet young Uncle Owen. So it, I actually really like that. I like all of that. I like the mm-hmm. idea of that. I'm like, that's very cool. He goes up, he finds his mother, and within a minute of finding her, she dies in his arms. Mm. And then he freaks out, and he basically kills that whole tribe of people. Uses this very particular set of skills. <laughs> right. And I like the idea of that. As a story, it looks really good, but the emotional connection wasn't there with the mother. It lasted a minute. You didn't see his rage. And then afterwards, they just kind of move on from it. It's like the idea of losing yep. your mother and being concerned and then maybe putting that on your new girlfriend, your new wife. All that stuff makes sense to me. But it's just the way that they do it. It's just like the heavy points they rush through. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Oh, she's dead. That bothers you. But we don't see him get bothered by it. We don't see him hurt the people. We see him kill two. And then he's like, I killed them all. And then Padme's like, to be angry is to be human. (laughs) Right. What's wrong, Annie? I... I killed them. I killed them all. 
They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. To be angry is to be human. I'm a Jedi. Lady, she's all like, well, to be human is to be angry. It's like, he just told you he killed a bunch of women and children and you're cool. Whatever, man. That's fine. The idea of him losing his temper and killing a bunch of people is good. It makes sense. Yeah. it's, It's not good. But as an idea for it, maybe that should be it where we see, you know, do you want to see him massacre a bunch of native people? Probably not. Do you want to see him lose his shit? Absolutely. And maybe the impetus could still be his mum dying. It could be just... Maybe it is more interesting if it's just something and he freaks the fuck out. Because this is a guy with severe mental health issues. I have written in my (laughs) notes here, Anakin's a fucking loser. And he is a fucking loser. But he also has was ripped... He was raised as a slave. He was ripped away from his mother taken to a planet that is as far away as possible. The only person who gave a shit about him other than his mother fucking died. He's stuck with this dude, doesn't really like him, and he keeps being dragged across the galaxy by him. And all he has is, oh, jeez, I'm having these bad dreams. Nah, don't worry about it, man. Yeah, no, it's all good. Just don't even fucking think about it. Don't you think it would have helped if we would have saw the dreams too? We, like, had no, he just wake six- up and be like, I had a bad dream. And they're like, again? Like, 16 to 18 year old I don't know if he's ever had a wank maybe it'd help at least yeah. he gets his end away in this one because maybe that would have chilled him out a bit instead of this weird chaste monk society he gets none of the support he needs no matter what he's still but a he's whiner a oh he's such a oh, he, uh, he whines the entire time I think that's a choice because Luke Skywalker's a whiny bitch as well. yeah, but not like him I mean he's just like oh, I hate him I hate him and I'm like this is supposed to be Darth Vader. I am not feeling that. It's, I don't feel darkness. I just feel like this is an emo dude. That's it's not cool. It's yeah. like a fucking incel. The first time we see him, basically, is he's in the elevator with Obi-Wan and they're, they're bantering back and forth. I don't get the impression that they like each other. I don't get the impression they've ever hung out with each other prior to that moment. They must right. have done because they're master and Padawan. However, there's just no chemistry between them. This is an aggressively unfunny movie. I also have that written in my notes. Yeah. But we see him with Padme, and she's like, Annie is there. He's like, ah, 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 I mean, ah, you're so beautiful. Ah, ah, Every second with you is pain. Every second with you is pain. And this is a soft challenge flag. When the hell has that ever worked? Have you ever been with a lady and been like, oh, just being with you is pain because I need to be with you and I can't? And she's like, that's hot. No way, that's Psychoville talk. That is lunatic talk. He is, he's crazy. And there's like another scene where she's like, it's something really benign. It's like, oh, Anakin, how's your date? It's not Anakin. And he's like, fucking Obi-Wan, man. I'm so much better than him. Oh, I'm gonna really get him. He doesn't like me. Fucking Obi-Wan. She's like, she wasn't even talking about that, mate. And then you walk over there and you're like, you're a woman, you're so beautiful. 
Like, no. she needs to get the fuck out of there. I realise she's probably led a fairly sheltered life being queen at 11 or 12 or 13, yeah. then becoming a senator. Very divorced from reality, I would say, especially given the size of that fucking lake house. Yeah. However, it's just, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. And you're lucky that Luke and Leia got adopted out. Yeah, for sure. Can't be raised in that in that crazy house. I do think that, like, I don't know. I, I don't know what your opinion is on Hayden Christensen. I didn't think anything he did was convincing in this movie. When you move to the next one, The Sith, yeah, there was, some, there was some scenes that I'm into it. Like when he's looking a little like dark or when he's screaming, the I hate you thing at the end. Like I bought that, but most of this movie, most of his lines, I'm just not buying. And he should thank God that Natalie Portman was in the scenes with him because some of those scenes I was like, Natalie talking took the complete cringe off of whatever he just did. His best work in this is when... They're on Naboo and they're having dinner and he's talking to her about what it's like to be a Jedi and he's feeding her a pear. <laughs> and with the, the fans are back and forth there. It's a bit better. And apparently that scene was entirely improvised because they didn't like what George Lucas has written. Harrison Ford is on the record noted for saying, you can write this shit, but you sure as hell can't say it. Like, yeah. I think there is something to it because Ian McDermott is very good in all of these. And he has some whack lines but he delivers them very well there's almost like a it's not a gravitas but it's it's someone who's done a lot of stage work yeah to bring stunted dialogue to life because i think that's a big problem plays personally but you're right this is they're terribly written there's too much exposition there's no chemistry between anyone and for a movie that largely centers around people telling each other information so the audience knows what it is it sucks, and Anakin sucks. And at no point does anyone say to him, hey, um, why are you wearing, why are you wearing the black? Like, yeah. I, we know you've got other clothes, you've got that big, dirty smock, but, like, why are you wearing the black? None of us are wearing black. Like, where do we go to get those? Did you get those <laughs> from custom? Like, is there another store that we should know about? Are there other options for me? Oh, I thought we were wearing moisture farmer robes, like on Tatooine. Apparently, this is what all the Jedi wear. I'm not going to change my name. Or my outfit when I hide in the desert, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, hanging out with that white toga with a ratty brown hood over <laughs> top of it. And they all do it except for Anakin. He's like, oh, we're all black. It's my thing. But I'm a good guy. I'm cool. There's no foreshadowing <laughs> don't, here. Don't worry about me, There's, guys. <laughs> there's zero foreshadowing with my complete black ensemble. <laughs> now, we've talked about Dooku. We've talked about the real villain of this movie, the filmmaking craft that went into it yeah but there's another villain introduced in this one and that's Django Fett the Mandalorian bounty hunter and I suppose notionally the father of Boba Fett were you mm. a big Boba Fett guy yes so I'm gonna preempt this this is where I'm throwing my challenge flag Flag on the play. Normally, when I throw a challenge flag, it's on, okay, this was a bad film thing or this didn't make much sense. This is probably the first time I'm throwing a challenge flag where I was, where it's just, what were you <laughs> thinking? Boba Fett was argumentatively the coolest, most mysterious character from the originals. Like, 
I think he was one of the top selling action figures. I mean, there were posters of him. People talked about him all the time. They had side lore and comic books of this guy. Now, it's good to do some fan service. It's good to bring back things. I mean, John Favreau's been doing that. But how do you take one of the coolest OG Star Wars characters, you bring him back, and you make him a clone? You make him a clone kid. He's a clone kid. His dad is named Jango Fett. And he's <laughs> and he's the source of all the clones. Every clone we've seen is Boba's original DNA. So weak. So weak. I can't stand it. It drives me nuts. My, like, my fists are clenched. You can't see this podcast listeners, but my fists are clenched. Awful. It's like Ron Burgundy. I'm in a glass case of emotion. Awful. So bad. So bad. <sighs> I think <sighs> Django Fett. Boba Fett is the poster boy for this Star Wars idea of telling you that someone is cool, not showing you. He does. Fuck all. He shows up, takes a frozen man in his car in Empire Strikes Back, in Return of the Jedi, dies like a punk bitch, and that's it. And I don't oh. care how many comic books or books eventually got. He, like, Forrest Gumps his way across the galaxy or Frank Drebens his way across the galaxy, reversing his car into people and cleaning up bounties. Yes, he does some things in Book of Boba Fett, but also he's a little bitch in that too. He does very little cool. The stuff with the Tusken Raiders, interesting, cool. Nothing else interesting about the guy. He's the worst character in Star Wars. Heartily disagree. I am going to say <laughs> this. This is, this is, to me, who Boba Fett is. He was such a side character. He did not play a huge part. I mean, obviously, yes, he he got on solo. He's in the fight in the end. He's only in there for a little bit. But I think that's what makes him so cool is that he was used so minimal. And he had a cool outfit. He had these cool little gadgets. And everyone's wondering, where did this guy come from? Like, why? Who is he? Why is he here? He's a bounty hunter that is just on the side doing his cool little thing. And then they don't pry into it. It's almost like everyone wanted to see more of this character. I think he was right. I think he looks cool. I think his little thing's awesome. But through this, they brought back Boba Fett and just trashed it. It's like they took something that was cool, and then they have this whiny kid, this dude who's supposed to be his dad, doesn't wear the helmet except for... 30 seconds in the scene. And then it took basically John Favreau to go back and say, okay, I have to reinvent this character to make him cool again. And he made the Mandalorian. And that's essentially what that is. It's, it's like, okay, they kind of trashed Boba Fett. Let me take everything that he was and expand that out in a storyline. And the Mandalorian, in my opinion, is great. It's, it's a really good series. But honestly, if they didn't have these prequels, it would probably just be Boba Fett. That would be the what John Favreau's doing. But he couldn't do that now because he's a clone weirdo kid that's now the face of every clone in the Empire. <sighs> I'm exhausted. I, he does exhausted look cool. I'll give you that. He's he looks cool. He's got the weapons, but he does nothing. And they 
jam him into scenes where he shouldn't be in scenes. It's a whole thing. While we're on the topic of The Mandalorian, I want to put this to record that I think the titular Mandalorian in The Mandalorian is Grogu, not Din Djarin. Every episode has had a twist so far this season, and I think it will end with Grogu stepping in to defeat, or stepping in to protect Din Djarin after fucking Bo-Katan has got the Darksaber. So technically, yep. Grogu will be the ruler of Mandalore. That's my theory. Putting it on the record. I like it. I like it. He has been a little soft this season. Like, I don't know. The last season, he's like fighting people. He's kind of this hero. This season, he needs to be saved a lot. And I don't really like that direction. Yeah, it's like everything is like, oh, I got caught. Oh, I got this. And like, he's just getting saved constantly. I'm like, wait a minute. This is supposed to be our hero. Can we toughen him up a little bit? He is lacking a bit of something, isn't he? He yeah, slipped in but, water and sunk and needed to be saved. It's like, what's happening here? He didn't slip in water. He jumped <laughs> into water wearing a suit of armor and was surprised when he fell. <laughs> right. Django Fett in this one, played by Timuera Morrison, fantastic Kiwi actor from Once Were Warriors. And a, a film I would put on a par with this, Barb Wire. If you've not seen it, it is the remake of Casablanca with Pamela Anderson wearing very little at all. It's her M.O. Uh, and he is also my mate's wife's cousin. Oh, no kidding. All right. Hey. Shout out to Tamawera Morrison. Seven degrees of separation to you. <laughs> well, I said to her, because we went to their wedding last year, I was like, I, did, I figured he wouldn't be here, but I was like, kind of hoping that he was. Were you like, Django? <laughs> <laughs> I was employed by a man called Tyrannus. My challenge flag, one of two, is to do with Django Fett as well. Django Fett is paid by Count Dooku to assassinate Padme. He outsources that to Zam Wessel, who outsources that to a robot, who outsources that to some slugs. And if you are going down those number of levels of outsourcing, leave the fucking planet. Or certainly, don't follow along and watch it unfold the entire time. Same with Zam Wessel, when she stands there. You do that. You outs- We talked about Hitman on the last episode. Yep. You know what you do in Hitman? You set up the hit and you walk away. <laughs> yep. you don't set up the hit and stand around and see what happens you go because that's when you get caught it's dumb and i'm throwing my yep. challenge flag on a guy who's supposed to be the best bounty hunter in the galaxy but he's not and then you've got stupid zam wessel who can change what she looks like and doesn't i don't want to be the if i was in this situation but if i was in this situation always have a second change of clothes always yep go into the bar go into the toilet get changed come out oh did you see? No, no, I didn't see anything. Mate. Don't worry about it. Sorry, yeah. something, in, something in that space, Curry. <laughs> Don't go in there. Yeah, but it doesn't make any sense at out. all. Yeah, you can change What's shape, but you're gonna hang out as you were when you committed the crime. Makes no sense. That makes sense. Good challenge, flag. I do quite like that chase scene, and it's on my list of things I like in this film that we'll come to very shortly. And of course, it culminates in a bar. And it's within that bar, which features uh, live-action cameos from Anthony Daniels and Ahmed Best, C-3PO and Jar Jar Binks. But it's in that bar where we see the raison d'etre. Raison, de, raison d'etre? I don't anyway, know, man. Leave all this in. The raison... If you have to Google it, I don't think you should use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the raison d'etre for this episode... What are you, the writer of Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> the raison d'etre of this episode... 
The reason we're doing this fucking episode is because of the robot football in the bar. There it is. <laughs> and it is a brief mention on the screen. It is called Nuna Ball. And I have a quote here from Wikipedia about Nuna Ball. Nuna Ball isn't all about seeing a noisy rodent punted 60 meters. Internal research tells us that seeing droids get their heads ripped off is equally popular. Combine that with the glamour of droid show models and oversized snacks, and you've got a family outing that's hard to beat. <laughs> it's essentially American football. When the game was won, the announcer would shout, Nuna. Nuna! The game originated on the planet of Naboo, where Gungans would use a live Nuna as a ball. The sport gained popularity after the invasion of Naboo, where droid manufacturing companies used Nuna ball matches between droid teams as product benchmark stress test. At first, these matches were only broadcast in consumer automata holomags, but by 22 BBY, that's 22 years before the Battle of Yavin, the game's sports signal coverage had been upgraded from HSES-6 to HSES-4. The Committee Against Non-Sentient Abuse, an organisation that protested the mishandling of animals, raised its voice against Nuna ball matches for their misuse of Nuna. Entire leagues were founded on the base of this sport. Specialised droid teams could be found among the participants. The sport became the most profitable sport in galactic history, given the low cost involved in fielding and maintaining the droid players, and the Nuna Ball League was looking to expand from 16 to 32 players. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I mean, this is American football with robots. And I understood about 50% of that description, so good, good. It's a win for today. Yeah. It's played by droids, and the ball is an animal called a Nuna. That I understood 100% of. Not to be confused with going home at lunchtime for sex. The old Nooner. <laughs> Afternoon delight. Pew! <laughs> 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 so that's why we're doing this. I assume the, the best football play is, I think the guy gets sacked, doesn't he? Yeah. Space it, it sacked. Falls apart a little bit. but. It definitely wins the best football moment of this movie. Absolutely. Now, I do have another challenge flag here, and that is the scene in the diner with Dexter Jetster. And the reason I'm throwing my challenge flag here is because I think this one scene embodies everything that I dislike and everything that is wrong with the prequel. Terrible CGI. Yep. You get the micromanagement of George Lucas. There's a a behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of Attack of the Clones. Yep. And you see all these people, and as a designer, you will appreciate the stress here. It would presented George Lucas with, let's say, 20 different aliens. And instead of just going, I'll have that one, he's gone around and going, I'll have the eyes off that one, the face off that one, the arms off that one, the ass off that one. Oh so frustrating. Goodness. The micromat for a character that doesn't matter what he looks like, like the fact that he has a mustache and four arms and his ass crack hanging out, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you spoke. Hold on. Can I just say for a second, I feel completely seen right now. <laughs> I just, I want to stop and appreciate this moment because <laughs> that is, as a designer, that is such a part of my life. You make three logos and everyone's like, let's add this and add, take a piece of that and take a piece. And I'm like, it's three different concepts. It's three different. This yeah. isn't. This isn't Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. You can't you can't just mush these things together. It's three very concise, thought out, powerful concepts that you want to just smash together like a 
ball of dough. Ugh, it's the worst. Thought has gone into this process prior to you seeing this work. <laughs> right. I had that exact situation on a piece of work I did this week. People go, can I see it with this? Can I see it with this? How about this? I was like, whatever. I will get to this when I get to this. I was literally doing this as an unpaid favor to you, and now I hate my life. Yeah. yeah Thank you. That's exactly it. George Lucas, very bad for that, the micromanagement. Known for it. And I guess he has earned the right to be protective of his intellectual property. Absolutely. But at the same time, I think he needs a bit of a babysitter with some of these ideas. You know, I mean, I think we've kind of talked. The concept is good on a lot of these things. If I were to write down the story of Anakin to Darth Vader, it looks good. I mean, one thing I was going to bring up that I did really like is the process of the Emperor rising to power. I thought that was done so well as a story. But you start to hit these, the devil's in the details. You know, when you're trying to get people to emotionally invest in it, he goes off, he goes rogue. Rogue One. It should. That's the George Lucas story. <laughs> that's him. He's Rogue One. If you like that element of it, there is a now non-canon book called Darth Plagueis, and I think this is available on Audible. Free Audible. Free ad for Audible here. They need the help. That I would recommend. It is essentially House of Cards, but Star Wars. Nice. It is about Darth Plagueis and Palpatine rising to power and the backroom machinations of all of that. So it takes place somewhere during this prequel timeline? It starts before it goes past the end of The Phantom Menace. Yep. I think it actually ends technically during this. But I would recommend you and to anyone else out there who hasn't read it, who likes a Star Wars novel, I think that's one of the better ones out there. That's uh, Darth Plagueis. I can't remember who the author is, so I apologize to that gentleman. I'm going to check it out. And then my third element, and this is the real challenge flag, and it's a challenge flag on this, and it's a challenge flag on Star Wars generally, I hate when it gets too real. And it's too real in the diner. It's too much like, it's too much like our world. Yeah. It's an element of uncanny valley in that there should be recognizable elements, flying cars, large buildings, blah, blah, blah. When you start seeing things like a 1950s American diner, American football played by robots, yellow cabs, yep. billboard advertising to a degree, but maybe not so much it starts to take you out of it and it turns more into the Flintstones than it does a fantastical galaxy far, far away. I could not agree more. And I don't like it. And I think a lot of the earlier works, I mean, in the later works as well, we do get maintaining in this canon of full fantasy. I mean, everyone can make an argument. Okay, how do all these creatures speak English? Well, George Lucas approached that in some of his earlier work where they don't. They just, I don't, and, and like some people understand him and some people don't. And there's been sci fi's that have explained it. Like you have the Babel Fish in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Thank you. I was looking at my bookshelf <laughs> right there. There is a Douglas Adams themed pub not that far from where I live called the Allen Hitchhiker. Really? That's awesome. I am a huge fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Huge fan. Read it when I was a teenager and. I have that exact copy sitting on my bookshelf, now aged, unfortunately, like myself. <laughs> but even still, you can start to argue really like microcosms of these things of like language and that. I think it's good that Star Wars has addressed some of that. But then when you get, like you said, it's like, okay, 
he's in a galaxy far, far away. He's in a 50s diner theme where they dress 50s diners, looks 50s diner. It just, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense. I, I completely agree with that. I hate it when sci-fi does stuff like that. Yeah, particularly when the rest of it is, you know, so fantastical. I've got some stray notes here. Almost the first line in the movie, Padme's body double dies and says, I failed you. You didn't. That was your one job. You actually nailed it. You nailed that perfectly. Crushed it. Yep. (laughs) Mace Windu suggests that it could be disgruntled spice miners trying to kill her. Uh, If you look in the expanded material, a bit weird, but also disgruntled spice miners. Spice is illegal. So surely they are disgruntled constantly because they're running an illegal operation. Spice? Where have I... Dune. Ah, it's another Dune element right there, huh? (laughs) Yep. It's a very big part of Dune. (laughs) Very, very big. Why do I get the feeling you'll be the death of me? Hate that as a line. Obi-Wan to Anakin. In that bar scene, you can see a girl's ass. Now she's wearing see-through pants. Jumping back to that line, I hated even more so Anakin's response. He's like, don't say that, master. You're like a father to me. I would never do anything to hurt you. And it's like, who is writing this? Who is just awful. Exactly. Later, he says, I wish I could wish away my feelings. Ugh, write a poem. The Jedi librarian, Madame Jocasta, very good in the Darth Vader comic. Um, but her seeing the arrogance of the Jedi with just being like, well, it's not in the archives. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Again, microcosm of the issues that plague it. The Darth plague it. <laughs> yeah. We get more endless hallways, endless CGI hallways on Camino. Uh, Master Sifo Diaz was originally supposed to be Palpatine, i.e. Sidious. Anything we haven't mentioned that you want to talk about? The overall story, I think, can be good. I just think it was executed poorly. Like, I really liked The Emperor's Rise. You know, if mm-hmm. you haven't seen the movies or it's been a while since you've seen the movies, essentially... It's been a while. It's been a while since I've seen Star Wars. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so Palpatine is posing as a senator. Well, he's not posing. He is a senator. And secretly a Sith Lord. He starts a war in secret and then uses that war from the good side to seize more power. So essentially Mm. he starts this awful war and then he goes to the Senate as the Senator and says, I need power to launch these clones to stop this war. And in doing so, I mean, they put stupid Jar Jar Binks in there, I guess, to like kind of balance it out. He's the one that ends up recommending it. Misa let you grant emergency powers. (laughs) Misa wish he wasn't in Star Wars, but, so he recommends that he was originally just going to talk nor- <laughs> talk normally in this one. He was. He was supposed just, hey, to. Hey guys, how we doing? Hey, what's how up, doing, bro? It's like the Family Guy uh, wrong sounding Muppets clip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's got like a pack of Marlboros rolled up in his sleeve. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> this guy should get the power. What a Bulmer always wins. He's a that the Senate. Give immediately emergency powers to the Supreme Chancellor. Order! We shall have order! With great reluctance, 
that I have agreed to this calling. I love democracy. I love the Republic. The power you give me, I will lay down when this crisis has abated. He ends up seizing more power. He, he gets promoted to have temporary absolute power. He executes the war. He does Order 66 to kill the Jedi. And then essentially he just keeps control. And that storyline is very probable. I mean, it's happened in history. You look at Caesar. Hitler did the same thing in 1930s Germany. It's this Hitler rise. did exactly the same thing. Exactly. It is, it's based on Hitler attacking the Reichstag to yep. get emergency powers and then not giving him up. You know, I, I know a story of another crazy man who had some wacky ideas, and you know what his name was? Hitler. But it's good. I mean, I, I like the parallels to that. It was very smoothly... I don't want to say it was smoothly done in this, but that timeline works really well. And I do think if they presented the Anakin's timeline better, it would have made more sense. Oh, I'm questioning this. I'm an, uh, I'm an irrational kid. You know, then my mother dies, and then essentially I'm freaking out because I'm getting the same dreams about the one I love. And then this this guy who's leading the Senate, who now has control over the Republic, pre-Empire, is like, I can help you do that. That makes all of it, on paper, makes total sense. It's just the way that they did it. It was rushed. There was too much talking. There was focus on things that there shouldn't have been. Did that diner scene even need to happen? the one that you dislike, it didn't even need to happen. He was just getting info to go somewhere. I mean, he could have, they could have just had a Jedi say like, no, I've been there. I know it's there. Like, you got to go and check it out. And he could have gone. I like that he got the information. I, I agree. I totally agree. There's a lot of scenes. I like that he had to go somewhere different for the information because the Jedi didn't have the knowledge. And again, it's this whole, we know everything, we know everything. But there's clearly dark, dingy parts of the galaxy. There are still slaves on Tatooine. All these different things yep. that the Jedi think they're all so fucking high and mighty, but they're not they're not helping the little people. And I think this is part of the story that comes through when other people point it out to you, because I'm not smart enough to see this myself. But it's the idea of the Jedi are all sitting around having conversations in Coruscant, not helping everyone else out. Mm. Like the scene where Anakin invents democracy and Padme turns around and goes, that's what we fucking do, you dickhead. Right, and then he's like, oh, well... People should sit around, and, and the smart people should sit around and talk about what's best for people and then do it. He's just like, what do you think I do? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then she's like, well, the problem is, is not everyone agrees. And he's like, well, then we should make them. There should be someone that's wise that tells them what to do. And she's like, you're talking about tyranny. Like, you know what I mean? You invented democracy and tyranny in the same breath. Oh, come on, Anakin. Yeah. Lock You're it up. Explaining my job to me. And then telling me that the opposite. Oh, well, in that, in that case, we should just do the exact opposite. We should just do the opposite then. I don't think the system works. How would you have it work? We need a system where the politicians sit down and discuss the problem. Agree what's in the best interest of all the people and then do it. That's exactly what we do. The, the trouble is that people don't always agree. Well, then they should be made to. By whom? Who's going to make them? I don't know. Someone. You? Of course not me. But someone. Someone wise. Sounds an awful lot like a dictatorship to me. Well, if it works. 
Oh, another miscellaneous note. When Yoda's teaching the class to all the uh, Padawans, or the, the little, the younglings, or whatever they're called, they're using the training droids, same as the ones from A New Hope. I don't know if Obi-Wan Kenobi left the temple with one of those, whether he got one somewhere else. I thought it was just a piece of junk that Han had on his ship, and I think it probably should have stayed that way. Yep. But he just made do with what he found. Also, it's fairly obvious. Put two and two together. Wow, there looks like there should be a planet here. Better go and investigate. That's what I'm saying. He didn't even need to search for it. Just go check it out. Like, they could have cut out that scene. They could have focused more on these emotional buildup, these changing of Anakin's emotions, this build to the Empire coming about, or another battle for the Clone Wars. There was just a lot of spinning wheels that really could have been focused on emotional investment. Before I launch into the section I'm going to call things I actually like about this film, a fun fact here, this comes from IMDb. There's a lot of facts on IMDb about this, but this is clearly just a, it's not so much trivia as like, a, here's something someone noticed, that uh, Django Fett, a bounty hunter killed by Mace Windu, Samuel L. Jackson, and then obviously in Django Unchained, Samuel L. Jackson killed by a bounty hunter. Very nice. Yep. Called Django. Yep. Django. Django. And of course, both characters named after Django, the original film. Django. <laughs> Starring the guy who says, I know how to spell that in Django Unchained. Right. Things I like in this film. And feel free to jump in if you have things that you liked as well. Sure. The chase scene. Despite <laughs> Anakin's quipping, despite them going, Anakin, don't go through the power couplings and nothing happens. That's like saying, Anakin, what if I told you about going out in the rain and he just gets a little bit wet? There's no consequence to that. Nope. Why does she shoot it at all if they're just going to fly through it? Yep. Doesn't make sense. I quite like Oppo Rancisus. You ask me who that is? That's a hairy snake Jedi master who sits on the council. Oh, He's yeah. in the background of about two scenes. And yeah. I was like, this guy, he looks like a hairy ass dick. <laughs> I kind of didn't mind the bug guy. Big bug eyes with tentacles coming off his head. He was all right. Oh, it, uh, Kit Fisto. Yeah. Like, he runs in the one scene. His eyes get super huge. Uh, he dies by mm. Palpatine, I believe. He is a badass, generally. I like uh, Ian McDermott and Christopher Lee. Very good in this. Yep. Agreed. They bring a gravitas that I like. I like the guy from the Techno Union who says, The Techno Union. <laughs> <laughs> I like Samuel Jackson fucking up Django with reckless abandon. Yeah, that and was a good scene. I like the reworked version the guy did online that shows him just chopping the fuck out of it. And again, that goes back to you don't need to make a big thing out of it. Was, it was quick. That was a quick scene, and it was like powerful. You're like, oh, you know, he just heads off. Story over. Yep. Next level. Yep. I like when they're in the arena and there's four pylons. I think if this was a worse movie, there would only be three pylons. Four's a good number of pylons. These is where they're chained to and they're fighting the animals. I think that's quite a good scene anyway, yep. uh, except for creepy Newt Gunray, who when they rip open Padme's top, he goes, ooh. <laughs> but it, yeah. it makes it seem like this is an area that they do other things at. It hasn't just been built for this. Yeah. And in the scene where Palpatine is given emergency powers, and this will be great for the visual, uh, for the audio medium, I like the guys that clap like this. Oh, yeah. Like, just kind of punch forward in the air. Like, they're rowing a boat. It's like, it's a, like they're... It's like a... Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're rowing it's a like boat. It's like a bantha. <laughs> but they're 
but they're kind of convulsing when they do it. It's like, imagine you're convulsing yeah. while you're rowing mm. a boat. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's a pelvic thrust, yeah. but with your, your chest. Those guys I, mean business. I'm a big fan of, <laughs> yeah. of those guys. I also like at the end yep. when Anakin is basically like, put the ship down, we've got to go back and save her, and Obi-Wan has had enough. And he essentially does the Tommy Lee Jones to Jim Carrey, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, essentially, he and he used Pat, like, what would Padme do? You know, and he's like, yeah. she would go forward, and he's like, all right, all right, you little brat. Yeah. She would do her. This movie, they tried to parallel a lot with The Empire Strikes Back, and I liked the idea behind it. Again, execution, probably not so well, but, you know, in Empire, you have Han and Leia, they're captured and Luke has to rescue them. In this, Anakin and Padme have to rescue Obi-Wan. Like poetry, it rhymes. Exactly. Well, like in Empire, the Sith try to lure Luke to the dark side. And he's like, I'll never join you. And in this, Obi-Wan by Count Doku tries to get lured. And he, he says the exact same thing. I'll never join you. I mean, these are like subtle little things, but it shows that thought was put into it. And I do like that. Obviously, Anakin losing his arm and Luke loses his arm as well. Both of those parallels I liked. So there's several more in this, but those are some of the the higher ones. And I do like how they tried to make the parallel between Darth Vader and his kid. Again, I some of the execution I just think wasn't there. I suppose echoing those comments, this is from the IMDb trivia. The film echoes many plot elements of The Empire Strikes Back, although often reverse on themselves. And I think some of this is long bows. Weekend. Yeah. The film begins in a mile-high city but ends in a desert wasteland. Empire begins in a snowy wasteland but ends in a city in the clouds. For the majority of both films, the heroes are separated from each other. Obi-Wan, who trains Anakin, goes off on a mission by himself, just as Luke, who later trains Kylo Ren, goes off his own to find Yoda. Don't know why Kylo Ren gets it. Han and Leia, Kylo Ren's parents, are captured and Luke must rescue them. In this film, it is Anakin Padway, Luke's parents, who comes to rescue. Both movies, Sith try to lose the Jedi, as we talked about. Both movies have C-3PO being disassembled and repaired again. Mm. Anakin and Luke lose part of their arms, dead. In the end, the Galactic Republic tries to capture the villain, but he manages to escape. This resembles the Empire trying to capture Hero, only for him to escape. So there are things going on there. Sure. I don't like how Yoda says, Begun, these Clone Wars have. <laughs> yeah. I do like how the battle droids look a bit like the Geonosians, the ones who built them. Yes. I don't like Count Dooku's stupid big ship with his big solar sail at the front. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That was odd. It didn't really fit because it was CGI as well. You know, the original Star Wars, they didn't have the CGI. So a lot of it, you kind of look back and go... Well, where where are their cell phones? You know, like where are their this, where are their that? You know, like they're like stuck in the past. But that scene when it came out, I was like, is that tr- ship transforming? What it, it just it didn't fit visually with the rest of like the gritty Star Wars, especially everything in the prequel era looks more technologically advanced than um, the Rebellion era. Which is annoying. Oh, if you notice, bit, no, all the clones are entirely CGI. 
and you might notice it's certainly noticeable on Camino. It's probably at the end, but obviously I didn't get to that. Yep. Is that they've clearly used the same animation for every single clone, which is fine. They're supposed to be a cloned army. Thanks, Ian. But instead of them switching up between the animations, it's like they've animated them in blocks and copied and pasted them. So they don't all shoulder their rifle at the same time or whatever it's supposed to be or you know present arms at the same time. There's a slight ripple where you can see they've just copied and pasted them across. Yeah. Well, as always, we like to rank these on our scale. You can first round through to seventh round. You can be undrafted. Where are you putting Attack of the Clones? So I know this podcast, we've basically just bashed this movie the whole time. However, with that said, there are things that I like about it as far as the overall concept of it. And it is attached to the Star World. It is attached to Star... I like it. The Star Wars. <laughs> the Star the World. Of Star Wars. It is attached to the Star Wars world. Say that three times fast. So with that said, I, if I look at it, for example, comparing it to Gus, which I believe we put around fifth or sixth round, you know, we put balls out around fifth round, sixth round. I would rank it higher than those. I would have it probably within a fourth, fourth or fifth round because I, it's a movie that I will watch again. I know I will. At one point I'm going to go through and I'm going to watch the prequels again. I think that they are isolated, entertaining enough to watch. So we bashed it a lot because it's, we have a lot of passion for star Wars And it's like, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do this? Why did they do this? But sitting down and watching it, I can can do it. I'll I'll go through all of them again eventually. So I think that if you probably aren't as nutty as us, you might like it a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe you'll like it less. But I think that fourth, fifth round arena is probably where it lands for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. It's exactly the same. Well, you know, you talked about Gus. You know, that's our sort of Dalton scale of the podcast of would you rather watch this or Gus? It's obviously this. I don't especially like it, but the more I think about it, the less I enjoy it. Sure. I will watch this again. I absolutely know I will. Just, I don't know if it's the headspace I was in one way. It's just not a fun film. Like, there are fun elements of The Phantom Menace. There are fun elements of Avenger of the Sith. Hell, there are there may be even fun elements of The Rise of Skywalker, but this is just a slog. It's the second longest film and I don't really like any of it. I'm going to say it's a... I'm going to say it's a sixth rounder. Okay. I am probably going to watch this again before I watch Gus. I will watch this again before I watch likely any film or, yeah, probably any film that we've done on this show. Yeah. But like, I mean, I would almost go out and limb and said, if I had to choose, I would probably rather watch Balls Out. You would. Would you rather watch Police Academy? Because I think that was in your oh, yeah. fifth. Yeah, okay. Because you had that as, a, I think, a fifth. So that's kind of the range of where it goes. I could probably see myself watching this before I watch Balls Out again. But who knows? Yep. I might watch them both. I mean, it's it's maybe in that range. So I think that's where it puts it. I do like Revenge of the Sith out of the prequels the most. I think that that's one. Yes. Watching this one, I 
want to go back and watch Revenge of the Sith just to get that conclusion. And I think that is certainly the best one out of all the trilogy because that's where the action happens out of the prequel trilogy. I don't want people coming out of me. I am a OG <laughs> Star Wars fan through and through. So I agree. I feel like the next time I watch this, it would be on a plane and I would put it on and fall asleep. Yep. And I, you know, you wake up and you know exactly what's happening. So, yeah, sixth round. Star Wars itself, I don't even know. I think it has to be first round. But I think if you start to unpick the quality, then you'll be very disappointed with the, the amount of time I've wasted on this. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I mentioned Jersey Boys and Jersey Girls. So don't forget if you have uh, stories about your favorite jersey, best jersey, most obscure jersey, email them to us at greenyoulater at gmail.com. Uh, you can tell those of you who are regular listeners, obviously this segment is not going that well so far, but uh, submit something and you'll almost certainly be in it. <laughs> and then you get to hear the fantastic theme as well that we have prepared for this segment. Justin, why don't you tell the good people where they can find you, mate? Find me at Twitter at Justin underscore B. And if you want to see some design and web work or need some design and web work, you can go to justin-b.com. And you can get in touch with the podcast. You can send us an email at greenyoulater at gmail.com. You can send us suggestions or uh, questions or anything like that. Of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast catch of choice. You can follow 32-bit on Twitter. That's number 30-T-W-O-B-I-T. You can follow me on Twitter or TikTok, and that is at Sheehan Solo. That's S-H-E-A-H-A-N-S-O-L-O. And I might even post a Star Wars-themed TikTok this week. So, who's to say? And with that... May the Force be with. Screen you later.